Welcome to Couch Convos, Centric Biz and Tech Talks. This is John Cackley. I've got Narendra Sundaram with me as co-host, and today we are talking with Pete Whalen about software test automation. Morning, Pete. Morning, Narendra. How are you guys today? I'm doing really well. Doing well. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. So, Pete, today you've shared a blog article and a presentation about test code is production code. And we wanted to share this with uh, more of the world. And uh, starting with ourselves, who, are, you know, we, we've read the presentation. We think we know what you're talking about, but we'd love to get more education on it. Okay, cool. So can you um, summarize just, you know, you, test code is production code. Tell us more. Okay. Well, software development, when you're making software, you make software to very specific ideas. You've got specific things that you're trying to do. You've got business purpose you're trying to address. There are design patterns you're going to use when you're making the code. Most object-oriented modern delivery practices, you're looking at code reusability, you're looking at testability, and then there are techniques, things like test-driven development, where you come up with a test before you write any code, you've got an idea to test, you write that test, and then you run the test. And when that fails, you write code to make the test pass. And then you rinse and repeat. And then there's behavior-driven development where you are looking to build software that follows specific behaviors. Similar to TDD, it's kind of, I think of them as cousins. They, they work mm -hmm. pretty well together, but they're not exactly the same thing. And so if we're doing this with the code that we're putting in front of customers that people are going to be using to make their specific jobs better, to make their lives better, whatever they're doing, whatever the software is for, if we're writing automation software to test that code, the short version is we need to give the same level of attention to that code, to the automation code, as we are to the business code. Many organizations don't. They'll say, oh, well, yeah, that's obvious, but then they rush through that stuff and they don't take the time to make sure that their code that they're using to actually test their production code is any good. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I wanna get back to, uh, if you haven't, well, let me ask you right now. Have you seen instances where there were bugs or flaws in the test automation that resulted in some notable failures of, of the testing? Yeah, there there was um, one client where I where I was helping them out several years ago. Now they had uh, they had this big beautiful application that they were setting up written from scratch. They didn't like any of the commercial options out there and they said, we can do better. And so they made this big, huge, beautiful thing and it was taking longer to test than they thought it would. And so they had a bunch of manual tests that they were working through step by step by step by step. And it's going, yep, yep, yep. And then one of the bosses said, this is taking too long, let's write some automation. And so they took some, so they took a very simple tool and wrote very simple scripts based on what the manual scripts said to do, except the people writing the scripts weren't the ones who were doing the manual testing. And nobody thought to actually talk with them, which is like really core to the entire agile mm -hmm. approach to making right. software. They, there's always conversations. If the conversations stop, you're doing something wrong. You, know, mm -hmm. it, it, right. you have to keep communicating. And when you're trying to do something in isolation because, well, you've got everything right here, um, 
you're probably going to miss some really, really important things. In this case, what they ended up doing was sure, as long as you did specifically these steps, everything worked fine, except nobody actually used those steps in that sequence exactly like that, <laughs> either in right. the real world or when, or when the business experts got a hold of it for their acceptance testing. They went in and they were testing, if I remember, it was like 20 minutes before there were angry phone calls, angry emails, and <laughs> and mm -hmm. and people walking out of rooms going, "Let us know when it's right," you know, and <laughs> because wow. there was, it, and and it was because nobody had actually tested the automation code, right? To be clear, they went through and they said, "Yes, this is doing exactly what 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 we think it should do." The only problem is what they meant was this is doing exactly what I wrote it to do, right. not what the business purpose is. Mm -hmm. And the business purpose of automation code is to help check the code that was developed for the business purposes. So, so there's kind of dual purposes mm -hmm. here. They have to make sure that those work. If not, it's going to fall apart. Right, right. Obviously, that was sort of a landmine example. But uh, what are yeah. the advantages? When it's done right, what are the advantages of using automated tools for testing? Okay, done, done right, done well. What you get then is you get huge amount of, of time freed up and time is precious because when you've got stuff that is repeatable that you can run through and 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 not worry about if it's if it's doing what you think it's doing you can then leave that for the stuff that is that doesn't take a whole lot of thinking about for example you get a build verification stuff gets checked in it mm -hmm. runs boom did, did the build break that's a really simple, obvious one. You've got regression testing that you're going to be doing mm -hmm. as you're getting closer and closer to, to release or deployment, depending on the type of environment you're working in. That's a really simple one. But as you're developing stuff, as you're working in with development, depending on, on the environment, if, if you're working in, in Scrum, and so you're writing tests while you're while you're running the code and you're testing and testing the code that you wrote within that sprint, within that increment, and you're testing this and go, yep, we've got this piece done, these tests work great. Then you can take those tests and apply them somewhere else. But the big advantage, I've, I've been talking about a whole lot of activities, but the big advantage is once those tests are in place and they work, they just work. And that leaves your skilled testers time to stop and think about what else needs to be considered? What other ways can this break? What things might happen? And people go, well, those are edge cases. Right. It's the edge cases that bring us down. Right. I wasn't involved in this, but I, some colleagues of mine were. If you think back to when the first version of, of the healthcare.gov mm -hmm. gateway opened, it was a train yep. wreck. And because there was a huge amount of effort that was put into Yep, this is doing exactly what we told it to do. But there was mm -hmm. no real effort put into what's it supposed to do. Right, right. Yeah. Tell us more about your role and how do you connect to these usually? You know, are, are you bringing this in? Are you driving these uh, automated test things? What's your typical role? It depends. My role at Centric is, is I'm part of the Modern Software Delivery Group, national business unit that goes in. And my task within that group is I act as test testing strategist or a test strategist. Okay. And, and that's a fancy way of saying that what I do is I help, help my team and help 
clients figure out how to do better testing, how to make their software that they're working at, that they're producing, work better, make it make it more reliable, make it easier to make software and get that mm-hmm. out there. Now, when it comes to when it comes to a specific engagement, for example, um, when I'm in working with working with an organization, I tend to be in the trenches, working with people, making things making things work. And so if they need help with automation, we can talk about how to automate. If they need help with just in general testing practices, then I help them with that. And and so the goal is to get things as consistent as we possibly can so that there's a shared understanding and there's shared training so that the organization is better off than they were when I came in. Okay. So when you're at an engagement and you're looking at, okay, we, we think there's a good opportunity here for automated testing. Who would you say, what role builds that automated testing, developers or testers? Yes. <laughs> you oh, I'm sorry. You, 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 wanted, you wanted something more specific. The, no, I, I, I just characterize it. I mean, is it a, do you, is one person playing both? Is it pair, pro, pair development? How would you look at it? Ideally. If you've got somebody who is a very skilled tester, is, thinks very well, it does does extremely good testing work, and can and can think deeply about questions around the around the software, around application, how does the system behave, and maybe their their technical skills. I, I hate to say that phrase, but that's what everybody uses. Mm-hmm. But the technical skills around things like how well do they write code. Can they understand code? Can they read code and figure it out? If 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 they can read code and figure it out, but maybe they're not the world's greatest software development person, mm-hmm. I don't think that person should be writing automation code. They should be working with someone else who's extremely good at writing code. Now, sometimes that will be a development engineer from from the development side of the house sometimes it will be a development specialist that's within the testing or qa group Mm -hmm. Um, but there should be collaboration i'm a firm believer in pair development pair programming pair testing ensemble Mm -hmm. development ensemble testing um, where you get two three four five people working together on a on a, on a problem, on a project, getting things to work and just hammering it out. And common complaint is, but that takes too long. And what I've found is that it may take too long to get to the initial delivery, right? but you have far, far fewer problems to fix. Right. And so by the, yeah. time you, by, by the time you get all the problems fixed, you've probably taken as long, if not longer, than, than if you do a group group effort. Right. Yeah. What's the old line? Uh, if you don't have time to do it right, when do we have when do we have time to fix it? So. Yeah. Yeah. It, or, or or like or, or like the, the the old car repair shop commercial. You can pay me now or pay me later. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So again, when you're when you're making recommendations, uh, do you look? Are there certain standard packages that you would typically advise using, or do you look at more of a custom scripting, custom tools? Again, I'm sure the answer is it depends, but what, what's your preference? Where, where's your starting point? The starting point is to see where the client is. Mm-hmm. Where are they right now? If they, if, if somebody there is saying, well, here's, here are the tools that, that we think we want to use, take a look at those. If any of those will fit their need, then go for it and support them and help them go forward. If most of them are not exactly suitable to purpose, 
talk with them about that and say this might be a better option. I had, for example, I had one, I had one engagement, one shop where I was helping out, where their regression testing was the standard was to run cucumber. And so, so they had cucumber tests, which were set up over Ruby framework that was executing all this other stuff. And that worked great for everything that was driven by a UI. If it's going through the UI, this would do it wonderfully, magnificently. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Except the teams that I was working with were all running API level stuff way under the covers where the UI didn't even know that it existed. It just did a call and got stuff back. So we had to figure out a different way to test that. Their standard was, no, you must do this before before each deployment. In the process of, of rolling out, this has to be tested. Well, it wasn't testing anything. It wasn't showing us anything of value. So <laughs> the solution was to sit down and write a bunch of PowerShell scripts that, mm -hmm. okay, he here's the official blessed and sanctioned approach. Here's the stuff that's actually exercising things to make sure that it works. <laughs> that probably wasn't the most politically correct way of doing it, but it increased the confidence of the team that what we had produced when it went live, that it would be way higher than than kind of crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. So you've already sort of answered the question I was going to ask about what scenarios the automated testing works better than others. You've given a great example there. Let's throw another, another angle, non-functional requirements, non-functional testing. Ah. <laughs> See, I think I have to explain it. You know, so often people have no idea what I'm talking about when I ask about that. So how can automated testing help in that area? Let's Anna? go back to the to, to the very first thing that I said. It's like, uh -huh. what's the business purpose? What's the intent? Uh -huh. What are you trying to do? Because okay. there's always requirements. They just might not be written down in a three-ring binder or in a JIRA right. card or something else, mm -hmm. but there's always some expectation. There's always something that people are looking for. And the, the, I had one engagement this is an EN or two ago when, uh, and there was a huge shop that was, they kept telling me that it was a unique thing because they had this big mainframe system that that was that that was the core of everything. And then they had a bunch of client server stuff and network stuff, and they were just getting into getting into the interwebs. It, it, that was actually <laughs> their term for it. And I still find it amusing, so I use it on occasion. And so all this stuff was happening and they're going, well, yeah, and so we're gonna go and do this. That was great, except that nobody had any idea what anything did. And, mm -hmm. and and so the hard part was turning around and saying, this is what we have. This is what we're going to do. We can automate this, but the automation isn't going to do what you think it's doing. So instead, let's take a look at what these non-functional requirements are behind it. And okay. say, because I don't see anything in your requirement binder that says database updates, database calls, or database changes won't corrupt the rest of the database. They're going, well, yeah, but but we've documented everything. That 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 should be a given. I said, but it's not in your requirements. Right. You, I don't see any requirements that say we shouldn't be accepting anything from the user screen, from the input screen that's going to corrupt the database. The, the, there's an XKCD cartoon about little Bobby drop tables, um, <laughs> which, and, and that had come out about a week after I made that comment and somebody walked in and said, do you do this? No, I don't do this cartoon. It's just, this is coming from somebody who's been there and done that. They, they know what's happening and because they probably have seen that. And so the question is, how do you make this 
non-functional requirement understandable because you'll want things like we want quick response we want the system to be secure we want to make sure that that there's accessibility so that so that so that anybody can use the application and it's not restricted on different things that and people go well yeah but that's such an edge case it's like have you ever talked to anybody who's colorblind have you compared mm -hmm. have you compared your screen with somebody who's colorblind and what they can actually see because yeah my cousin couldn't read your screen he'd see right. a black screen you know, and go well yeah but the colors are vibrant it's like not if you're colorblind and then if you've got other visual impairments or if you've got hearing impairments and there's supposed to be alerts and things that are that are chiming off how do you make that accessible to anybody and those are just the obvious ones then there are other then there are other questions around accessibility are you just presuming that people that it's going to magically be developed no the requirements around there you just need to figure out what those are and are they actually non-functional because of the impact how the application can be used or the experience of the people using the application they're pretty they seem pretty functional to me so, so let's redefine what it is that we're looking for because you've got things like performance how, how quickly does the system respond how does it behave at different levels at different levels of load simple queries uh, if you've got 100 users how does it behave if you've got 500 users how does it behave if you have a thousand users and and at some point everything's gonna gonna fall down you know but the question is where is that if you can find where everything falls down, then you can mitigate that. Then you can figure out how to handle that. And while that's not a functional requirement, it's something you have to be able to handle. So what I'm hearing from that though, is that it's a good conversation to have from a testing perspective of we should be doing mobility or accessibility testing and so on, but that's not an automated, that's a discussion of the requirements and the scripting. It's not a, it's not an, that's something you could automate at all. Ah, but you see, once you understand what the expectation and the needs are, mm -hmm. now you can automate it. Okay. Right. Because you can you can write the scripts that will go and build things out. You can catch things. You can catch alerts. You can catch things in the logs. You can see what's mm -hmm. happening. You can see how the application is behaving and performance testing done without some sort of automation, without some sort of performance testing tool to support you is mostly smoke and mirrors and it, and it's <laughs> testing theater you're not actually doing anything <laughs> and so and so you want to make sure that that you've got stuff that you can hammer out that you can push out and say look here's what we ran and this tool took this long to do this and oh by the way the fact that it took this long to run through these is an indicator in itself mm -hmm. but here are these scenarios and here's gotcha. how they behaved and, gotcha. and then you can do the same thing with security you know you can emulate uh, a brute force attack you can emulate ddos attack you can emulate all this stuff and the easiest way to do that is to set up tools to support you doing that of gotcha. course you have to go through by hand and make sure that make sure that that the obvious things are going to be handled but it's it it's when it comes to scale that that automation within those areas is going to make a huge huge difference Gotcha, gotcha. Narendra, do you want to jump in with any questions here? Sure, yeah, I do have a few questions. So the first thing I want to brief first, I want to go back a little bit too, but first thing I want to address is on the, the topics that we are talking about, the non-functional requirements and the points that John brought about mobility and accessibility testing. Now, 
all these probably require different kinds of automation tools, right? You just you can't use the same auto for typically performance testing is done using different tools. There may be other resources to people specialize specifically doing just performance testing. How, how have you seen that kind of work, you know, in terms of execution? Because it's typically probably not the same person doing everything. Typically not the same person doing everything unless you're in a teeny tiny shop, then then you've got all of people who are generalists and, right. and they tend to be very, very broadly rounded but that means that their skills within the specific tools are not very good. One thing that, that I tend to point people to if they're running, for, for example, a, a Java application or JavaScript-based application, easy performance testing tool that there is is JMeter. It's 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 part of the community. It's You don't have to pay for it, and, and it doesn't take much to learn. If an old guy like me can figure out how to run it, Anybody can figure out how to run it. If you have a, if you have a mobile testing tool and or if you've got a mobile application with and let's face it, pretty much everybody does these days. Um, it's not 1990 anymore. And so if you've got a mobile application and you need to test that and you need to test performance in the mobile environment, BlazeMeter is 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 an awesome tool. It's the flip side mobile version of JMeter. And so those are really really good tools. So those are kind of like Okay, you've got this, you got this thing, boom, let's start with this. And then there are other things that you can get that will give you a lot more information. But for a generalist starting out, that's an excellent place to begin. That's great. That's great. See, the, the other thing I wanted to go back to was when we were talking about, you know, the close collaboration that's required between a developer and a traditional QA, right, who may not be as technical. But I think we've also seen the trend where more and more QA people, I've known a lot of people who actually started learning how to code so that they could move more into the automation world of QA. And I, I, I think that's a good thing, but I just want to get your perspective too. Does that, would that require still the same level of collaboration if they're able to function more independently? Because the other thing that I typically see in businesses is QA doesn't come on board at the same time as developers start, right? For whatever reasons, whether it's budget or something, you know, they, they always think, oh, we can bring the QA team later. Yeah. And it, at which point I just kind of sit back and go, okay, let, let's talk about those ideas. Because if you're separating QA from development, it makes me wonder if you've ever actually developed code before, because testing is inherent within software development. And people go, well, yeah, but the Agile Manifesto didn't say anything about testers. That's because 20 years ago when it was being developed, when, when, when the Agile Manifesto was being made, they weren't looking at each specific role. They were looking at concepts. They were looking at things that needed to be done. People who made software counted as developers. That included you know, the, the, the old school business analysts, people go, well, no, they're product owners. Like, Not really, but they're the people who understand the application. They're, they're um, uh, developers, database analysts, um, designers, testing it, testing specialists. These are all specialists. They're all part of development. You can't make, you can't have development happen without this happening. Now, as far as traditional QA learning to write code, if somebody wants to so that they can expand themselves, great. I think that's fantastic. I typically recommend that if somebody wants to begin with learning to write code, start with the, start with the language that most of the applications that you're working with are developed in. That'll do a couple of things. It'll help you understand what's going on. And it'll help you give a, get awareness and understanding of the complexities 
that the development engineers face when they're writing code. Because this, well, why can't you just do this? And the answer is because it doesn't work that way. And and so what, what appears to be a simple little change on the surface might be far, far more complex. And if you understand that, then you can collaborate better. It doesn't matter if you if it's writing production facing code, you know, so if you're writing in Java or if you're writing in SQL you know, SQL queries, if you've got SQL scripts that, that that are involved, if you understand SQL, you can contribute immensely. If you understand Java and SQL, you're able to talk with people on in their language. Um, if you're if your understanding is in Ruby, you can also talk to people in their language, in, 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 in the environment that's going on. But you have an appreciation of, of, what, of what their challenges are. You also then can, be, can contribute and engage in things like code reviews. Walk through the code and you can say, what is this? And funny story, um, I was... I, I was we're working as as a, as a test engineer at, at one one engagement several years ago now, and was frantically learning C sharp because that's that's what my team was developing in. And I'd learned C many years before, but C sharp was a different animal. So here I am frantically learning C sharp, and I'm sitting in the code reviews, and first code review that I'm sitting in, they're going through. Okay, so we've got this and this and this, and it's, hey, wait, what's this this line? What's this command? What's this doing here? And dead silence. And the developer went, Pete, that, wow, that, that's a great catch. Why are we doing this? No, we should be doing this. When And they're going, ah, he's, well, look at this. And what I really meant was, I've never seen this command before. What does it mean? <laughs> but of course, now that I've said that here, I, I'm, yeah, well, the cat's out of the bag. If they ever see this, they're going, uh huh, he wasn't as sharp as we thought. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, if you understand this, if you've got at least a basic level of understanding, you can engage and you can work with them. If you understand SQL really, really, really well, you can actually help with the code reviews and contribute. You can ask meaningful questions around what this query is doing. If you understand the the, the, the mid-tier stuff that's happening, you can ask meaningful questions. And then the exciting part is you can turn around and you can write tests against that. It doesn't matter what language you're writing the tests in. And there's a growing call for testers, pe people who are testers, or, 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 or render what, what you called a traditional QA, and what other people kind of rather smugly call non-technical, because they don't write code. There, there's a growing trend where those are becoming almost an endangered species. And if you can't write code they don't want to hire you the context is always terribly important yeah you need people who thoroughly understand testing and test concepts and test approaches and you need people who understand how to write the code to make that happen having said that if you can do that then you can make all sorts of amazing things happen yeah well that's some great advice pete switching gears a little bit I want to talk about the kind of applications or the application ecosystem where this is most successful, right? No doubt this would probably work like in a greenfield area if they're building something from scratch, or maybe even like a product specific or service specific application. What I'm trying to bring into context to see if I can apply this successfully in the areas of business systems, business applications, where 
it's becoming more and more complex. There's just not one application to get your done. So organizations now have several different cloud applications or maybe a mix of cloud and on-premise applications. You have the Salesforce, you have ERPs, cloud ERPs, and a lot of integration layers in between like MuleSoft, you know, or Cardos, things like that. Sure. How, how, how do you think, do you still automation applies in silos to each of these applications or can we have like an end-to-end -end automation? Just want to get your thoughts on that <laughs> area a little bit. <laughs> End-to-end end, end end automation is one of the greatest, greatest potential traps that there is. So we won't talk about that first. We'll talk about <laughs> say it. holy we'll, grail we'll or something, but yeah. It's... <laughs> no. No, no, not a, not a real goal. I'll, I'll, huh? I'll come back to that thought about the holy grail, but, but it okay. boils down to you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> um, it, because... When you're trying to go and test integrations, is it possible to use automation for that? Absolutely. Places where I've worked, we've done it. Clients that I've worked with, we've done it. You can build these things out. You can build out very simple or very complex scripts that are going to exercise things. The question is, do you have an understanding of how the application is supposed to behave? Do you have an understanding how the collection of applications are supposed to behave? Do you understand what the relationships are together? If you can't walk through that in a timeline or, or in a float in a, uh, a flow map, um, I, I use mind maps and decision trees all the time to help me figure out what things are supposed to be. If you don't have any idea what the relationships are between each of these components, you're not going to be able to test that. You're not going, you're certainly not going to be able to automate that. And you probably are crossing your fingers and hoping for the best every time there's a deployment to any of those systems. You may have you may have really intense testing going on within your silo, as you mentioned. But if you haven't looked to see what the impacts are beyond that, you're trusting to luck. And now, end to end, one of my favorite topics. Um, <laughs> You thought I, you thought I was getting you thought I was going to go off on a tangent. Oh no, the, 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 this is this is the core because people go well. We can use automation to do end-to-end -end testing, and it's like sure, that's great. And the majority of the time, and I've seen this time and time again. I, I, I mentioned mentioned the 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 the, the engagement where the, there was a client that had this beautiful system that they developed themselves, and they were in automation problems. Well, their automation tests consisted of start at the beginning, create a new record, follow that record all the way through until it's done. Very simple, very happy path. That's great for like a, a build verification or even a simple regression test. Does the business, is the core business functionality still working? It doesn't tell us what happens. We create a new record, it goes in here and it does things and then things happen to it and it iterates and it iterates. Uh, for example, um, in an insurance company, we create create a new policy, create a new a new policy holder, a new a new client, create a new policy for that for that client. Go in and and rate the policy, issue the policy, pay the pol you know pay the premium, file a claim, pay the claim, everything's done right, except. It almost never works that way. There's always renewals. There's always changes within that. Oh, by the way, uh, automobile. Um, oh, by the way, I want to change this coverage. I want to change this coverage. I want to I want to reduce the coverage on this vehicle. I'm adding a new ve vehicle to this policy. So add this vehicle. So now we've got 
five changes right there. Have you exercised that? Because in the in, in the example that you were, that you mentioned with all these other systems, all these external systems, you now have got four or five integrations that you have to make sure worked. Are they going to work? You have to have a full understanding of how the system as a system works, not not these components. Right, right. Oh, that's great. So the one other thing I want to talk about is uh, when you were talking about how you come into organizations to do an assessment and provide some value to them, how do you measure that? Uh, when you're done there and you make some changes, you make some recommendations, suggest a new strategy, how do you come up with, okay, we saved X percent, we improved quality control by X percent, we you know reduce testers' time by worse, is there some kind of metrics you identify to tell to the client, okay, this is the value that we added? There's a variety of things. It, it depends on the nature of the engagement. If, it, if it's a simple assessment, here's what you're doing, here's areas that might be able to improve, and here's what we would recommend that you would improve, you know, that, that you do. That That's one level of engagement. If it's coming and actually sit down and work with them and go through that joyful process, it's not joyful and, <laughs> and and suffer through the changes with them. There are things there are things that I look for is success. And it's like, okay, so from the beginning is and we look at, at things that are that are beyond bugs or beyond velocity if you're in an agile shop or beyond the simple, obvious, easy to measure things. It's like, okay, let's take a look at from the time when when you start writing the code for for this for this story for this for this feature how long does it take before you can actually run a test what's the what's the delta between here and here and then once you run the first test how long does it take before you get the first pass and then once you get that how about rework how much rework is there how much thrash is there and, and thrash could be anything from from this and so if we can show that there's uh that the stories are very volatile it might not be because of of the development practices but there might be other things coming in there might be other bugs coming in and getting you there might be other things happening there might be um typically managers will say but we never distract our, our people our technical people they're what they're doing is too important except there's always oh by the way can you do this one little thing for me it shouldn't take you too long and having been the person that was supposed to go and do the one little thing that it shouldn't take me too long half the time those will take you know that's getting handed to you to, you know the, the stereotype is uh 4 30 on a friday and by the way can <laughs> we have this monday and so you're working all weekend to make this one little thing done but now you're exhausted and you're not able to work at your capacity come Monday on what you're supposed to be working on. And, and so you get things like that, you know, so, so how much thrash is there? And so if you can sh show a delta between that, here's where we started, here's where we are now, is this better? Yeah. And, and so rather than say, see, we did a great job, it's more like in your experience, what you are observing now, does this appear to be better? That's great. John, I'll let you wrap up. All right. So. I'm going, to, I'm going to take that same sort of question, but I'm going to flip it a little bit earlier. So Narendra was asking, you know, retrospectively, hey, did this work out well? When you go in, you know, you're brought in at a client and you've got, I don't know, could be a project sponsor, could be a program manager. And they said, you know, we were, we're all set for testing. We're, we've got a contract. We've got 20 offshore testers. We're going to take care of this. We'll test overnight. 
We know exactly how much it's going to cost. We're all set. This automated stuff, you know, this sounds expensive. What do you say to that? Do you remember, I think it was the first Batman movie where, um, oh, I forgot the actor. And and and, and the, the young accountant comes in and he's he's saying, oh, look, Bruce Wayne is cooking the books. I think he's, and, and the response was, you think one of the most wealthiest and most powerful men in the world is moonlighting as a crime fighter and he's cooking the books of his own company and you're going to bring him down in him and you're going to try and blackmail him with that. Good luck with that. Um, that that's kind of my response. Well, like it, is, yeah. Yeah. It, it is entirely possible that that will work. Again, it depends on the context. Um, I haven't seen it work that often because without very specific instructions, without very specific understanding and a very deep understanding, testing takes a long time. And there's always going to be, oh, well, here's this little thing. And depending on the skill level of the people that they've hired, the organization that they've hired, that one, if there's one little thing that's that's different, they may very well stop and say, I'm blocked. And, and so without a deep understanding about how to test and what testing looks like, that's where you get into questions about how can this work now if if there is if there is a, a a legitimate need where things are going to be very straightforward cool yeah that then you don't need to worry about test automation i haven't seen very many instances where where some tool assisted testing wouldn't help and i say that very broadly because because tool tools and Test automation can cover everything from running through this thousand-step script in fire and forget mode to set up test data that we can that we can then use manually to set up this other stuff. Because if you're spending if you're spending any time doing things like setting up test data, creating a new account to go back to the uh, the, the insurance example, if you're creating new accounts, creating new policies. If you're spending any kind of time setting that stuff up just to test something else, you really need to think about how you're spending your time. Okay. Obviously, you have a passion for testing and software development, and <laughs> what are the and, and you've given us a couple things like the XKCD cartoon. What's one of the best jokes you've heard about testing? Oh, let's see. There, there's a common one, um, and, and this shows up on a fairly regular basis in Twitter or other places. The software tester walks into a bar, orders a beer. Software tester walks into a bar, orders B beer. Software tester walks into a bar, <laughs> orders negative 3.7585 beer. You know, <laughs> And it's like, yep. Yeah, a friend it, of mine it, has had that as his uh, signature on his email for a long time. <laughs> but I forget oh. the punch. What is it? What what is it that blows up the universe? There's some there's some last thing where that he orders. He doesn't even order a beer. He does something else, and the universe blows up. That's the uh, yeah. That's there, the there, there's a bunch. Yeah, there's a bunch of variations. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a tester walks into a bar and orders a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. All right. We asked a whole bunch of questions about the, what did we not ask you about? What are the things that you would want people to know about test code, production code, and what you do that we forgot to ask about? Okay. If I I cheated and, and answered questions you didn't ask by answering questions that you did ask. So I'm going to – I know. I was checking things off. Yeah. <laughs> 
I've got I've got my checklist. I've got a test list over here. Uh huh. So, so, I've got so, my so requirements got... Uh, verification matrix going on here. It, indeed, and, and and so and and I'm going to steal a line from a fellow who used to work at uh, Microsoft, and I ran into him at a conference. That was longer ago than I want to admit. Um, but so don't admit it. But move on. I won't That's admit right. it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was in. It was the fellow's name is Alan Page, really bright guy. At the time he was at Microsoft, he he was he was one of the senior people in, in there. I forgot what division he was in, and he was giving a presentation on test automation and what to automate. And there were roughly thirty or forty people in the room, and most of them were going. But our management wants us to automate everything, and his response is, "You can't." you should automate everything that makes sense to automate. And that is probably the most direct and accurate advice for anybody when it comes to automation. Don't automate everything, you're wasting time. Instead, automate all the things that make sense. In this case, the, the example that I gave about creating data, creating accounts, creating insurance policies mm -hmm. that you can then test with, automate that. And then you may have other automation pieces that will make use of that and test other things that are highly repetitive, that, that are highly um, highly detailed. And just make sure that, you're, that the code that you're writing, the tool that you're using is appropriate to the task and that you've got flags set up to go and catch things. Because if you're not looking for a broad range of anomalous behavior, you're going to miss things. And, and and I use anomalous behavior because it may or may not be a bug. It just means something you didn't expect to see. If you're not, if you're, if you are so focused on what's in front of you, you're going to miss all kinds of things. There's uh, uh, inattentional blindness videos out there, and people go, "Wait, what's that?" And it's, and it's there's a the bunch gorilla of walking versions. through the middle of the screen. Yeah, <laughs> gorilla walking through the middle of the screen, and then and then I there, there's one that's done like a British who done it which is awesome where people can walk in and go, and it's an, actually an ad for motorcycles, but, or be, being aware of motorcycles, but you walk in and, and here's this detective and he's rattling off of this stuff and he's questioning all these people to this murder. And then the camera pans back and, and he says, arrest this person. But unless you're paying a great deal of attention, everybody when he's talking to them one-on-one -on -one, is holding something. When the camera pans back, they're all holding something different. The, dead body is lying on the floor. The rug under him has changed. The stuff on the furniture has all changed. The dead body on the floor is not the dead body that was on the floor in the first scene. And it's like, how many of these things did you not notice? And that's the great danger to what I think of as, as, as cut and paste automation, over relying on stuff without putting thought to it. All right, cool. Narendra, any last thoughts or uh, should we wrap up here? No, I think we, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed our conversation here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's great because I did too. Th thanks, guys. I, it's great that I get to talk in the morning about software testing and automation and thinking. And yeah. Thank right. you. So, so actually, one last question. I, I should have asked this earlier. Uh, what's next for you? What exciting things do you see that are coming up in in uh, your your world? In my world. Um, well, I've got a, I've got an interesting engagement that that's in flight right now, which is actually talking about some of these very same questions. 
and there's potential of a couple of interesting things coming up. I'm presuming that you mean work stuff because there's a whole bunch of other things. But, well, uh, you know, work, anything, but, you know, I was thinking work, but also, you know, if you're seeing any interesting innovations in the automation, you know, test automation area. Interesting innovations. That That's a, that's a good, good question that there's, I think in some ways, there's a whole lot of tools that are pushing out that are pushing the boundaries. There's almost like a Doc Brown from Back to the Future mm -hmm. thing beginning to happen. And that's like, we know we got out, we're figuring out how to do all these tools. We're figuring out how to do all this cool technology stuff. Have people forgotten what the essence of software testing is? How do we design tests? How do we think about mm -hmm. testing? How do we approach testing? And, and that I think is I don't know if it's going to be the next big thing, but that's something that, that that I'm getting really kind of excited about to say, let's take a step back and see if we can remember how we did things. See, see if we can remember how we structured tests. Why do we approach testing in a given way? And now is what we're doing with automation reflecting that? Yeah, actually, I just kicked a question into my brain here. So I read an article a, year, a couple years ago that suggested that uh, machine learning and AI were basically going to obsolete programming, you know, and development because computers would now write their, you know, write the systems or AI and machine learning. So let me just twist that a little bit. Do you see a role for machine learning uh, and AI in testing? There are a fair number of organizations, companies that are making a brave effort. I don't think it's mature enough right now. I don't think it would be mature enough for the next several years, but before it will be a meaningful thing. Even codeless automation, which is which is a thing, and it's only codeless on top. If you look underneath, mm -hmm. there's all this code underneath it. Right. There's all this code that's happening. And that's, and, and if you look at the code, it's it's kind of like back in the day when you could when when you if you were building early web pages sure you could you could use this tool and it would build your web page for you you didn't have to know html but if you actually looked at the html on top of the the click and drag stuff that that that, mm -hmm. that you built it's terrible absolutely right. terrible right. and right. so until that gets to the point where it's as good or better than a very skilled human person can do it's it's going to be a while Okay. All right. So we're going to put you on the calendar for about four years from now to do this interview <laughs> again and see how uh, uh, see okay. how machine learning is doing things. All right. Okay. For because the, sure. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll look forward to it. This has been Couch Convos, Centric Biz and Tech Talks. Thanks to Pete Whalen for joining us today and to Narendra for co-hosting with me. And thank you for listening.